Today's an exciting day for us. For the past three weeks, we have had a missions emphasis in our church where on the first Sunday, we, we had our team that just got back from Ecuador that sat here and began to share testimonies of what it was like for them and how it changed their lives to go from this culture to another culture and minister to people. There were some people said, I didn't know what I was going to do or say, but I got there and God just used me in some really unique ways. And that was a phenomenal Sunday. And then last Sunday I had the opportunity of, of sharing with you the vision of locally to globally. Why, why is it our vision? Because people matter. People matter. And we talked about the joy that we have in serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord and that everybody deserves an opportunity once in their life to hear the gospel in a way that they can understand. Today I have the extreme honor of introducing a, a very dear friend of mine. Jay Mooney and I became district youth directors together back in 1996. He from the state of Georgia, me from New York. It was from that that we developed a great friendship and our families grew, grew close together. He's had opportunity to minister in New York in different places throughout the years and now he's the executive director of Compact Family Services for the Assemblies of God. I happen to know that Jay Mooney has a heart for the lost, has a heart for missions and missionaries. And in fact, it was two years ago that I invited him. Last year, I was going to have him come, but because we had our, our capital campaign, we did not have a missions emphasis last year. And to your credit, let me just say this, to your credit, even though we missed a year, our missions giving never went down. Can I just thank you for your faithfulness? Can I just thank you for that? And I know that through those years, we've had a number of new families that you're going to be able to participate with us uh, as we move forward. But I'm excited today to introduce my friend. Would you give a Grace Assembly welcome to Jay Mooney as he comes to minister to us this morning? Thanks, Doug. God bless you, buddy. Thank you, Pastor. It's, an, it's a great privilege to be here at Grace Assembly. And I'm excited to be able to be alive in the kingdom of God, knowing that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is coming back, and he's coming back soon. Your pastor is in love with you. It, <laughs> it's interesting for me to watch this because I know him as this significant leader in the, in the broader body of Christ and to watch him love on you as a congregation and to hear him talk about what you're doing for the Lord, it's an exciting thing. It's a real privilege, Pastor, to be able to be in your church today. Thank you for the privilege of uh, being here. Any place where a preacher gets a chance to declare and preach and proclaim the Word of God is an exciting privilege. But to be able to do it right here is something really, really special, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. Well, I'm a born-again, spirit-filled preacher. Amen. And I should, probably should have left the preacher part off for just a moment, because what I really am is a child of God. See, a lot of times we try to define ourselves in ways that we're really not supposed to think about primarily. Primarily, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God, and th that's a special thing. I'm privileged to be a husband, um, and uh, we have four wonderful children. All of them are serving the Lord. That's probably because of her. Um, I learned a long time ago that behind 
Every so-called successful man is a surprised mother-in-law. <laughs> but, you know, we're now grandparents and we're watching the Lord work in, in another generation. That's exciting. It's exciting. We can't take that for granted. We don't have spiritual grandchildren by birth. We have them on purpose. And, and it's so important for me right now to be a grandfather as well. I serve as uh, Pastor dis- explained as the Executive Director of Assemblies of God Compact Family Services. It's the national affiliated child welfare mission of the Assemblies of God. We redeem vulnerable children and families from hard places through compassionate action, and we do that to the glory of God, just like New Hope. That, that's, that's what we do. And we have a span of services from residential and community services, and we're doing things in about 13 states right now. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a desperate time for the family in America. And this is missions. And I get to be a part of that. Historically, it's an organization that's served and ministered to thousands of kids. Just to understand the, the, um, the great need and the crescendo of that great need, we've served over almost 700 kids just in the last five years alone. It, it, there's, there's, a, there's a significant need uh, that's, that's taking place. And um, I want you to know, we should never, ever underestimate what God wants to do through any single individual Whoever comes into the presence of another believer, do not, do not try to measure that by what you see or hear. Measure it through the eyes of God. And in the eyes of God, all things are possible. God loves everyone. And um, there are millions of hungry and thirsty people, as we were just singing. Tired and thirsty, hungry and the truth is, is that we know that Jesus is the bread of life. That he's the uh, living water. He's the hope for hopeless. He is the answer. And what we're doing when we're talking about missions locally and globally is we're talking about making Jesus known to those people. It's the cause that is the cause of God. Someone says, what, what's the mission of God? We know what the mission of our church is. What's the mission of God? The mission of God is to redeem his creation. The mission of God, and we get to be a part of that. That's the beautiful part of this message that I'm, uh, I'm really getting excited to be able to present to you today. It's because Jesus is still on that same redeeming mission here on Sunday, the 29th of September in 2019, and he's busy about that right here in your community and every part of the globe. He hasn't changed his purpose. There's no mission drift in heaven. And there should be no mission drift on earth. It's the cause of God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a great moment. In fact, I will say it this way. This is the greatest hour in world missions in the history of missions. 
This is the greatest moment in the harvest of the kingdom of God in the history of the world. You say, how can you say something like that? Easy. Because yesterday was the most uh, important, was the greatest hour, but today is a new day. And in this service today, I aim to help you to understand the mission of God, to understand the, the season that, the, uh, of God right now, and to understand what you and I get an opportunity to be a part of in that and take some action on it. In, in short, I want to say that my message to you can simply be summed up in this challenge. Be a going church for a coming king. Be a going church for a coming king. Congratulations on being a part of a going church for a coming king. I have these questions that I'd like to kind of raise to you, though. Are you ready for the second coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What will be the essence of your life in that striking moment when Jesus comes back? The Bible talks about that very clearly. I won't get into the whole portions uh, of that, but the Bible says, Jesus said, and the Bible repeatedly says through prophets, Jesus is coming back. Will you be busy about his business or something else when that moment happens? It's easy for me to conclude that most of you inside of this room will be busy about that master's business. I know that because you're here today. And we ourselves need to be ready for that. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to understand your great mission to understand the moment and the time in which we are in and what we can do right now in portions, in parts, in fulfillment of that. Lord, give us eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart that can understand what your word is saying by your spirit to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. There are three callings. There's others, but there are three callings that I want to draw attention to today that are they're definitely a part of what it means to be a going church for a coming king. The first is found in a passage of scripture I'll read here in a moment, but it's, it's, it's very simply to go and make disciples. That is part of the mission of God. The church is called to make disciples. That is to for one believer to help someone else come to know the good news of Jesus Christ where they become a follower of him to the point that they repeat the same. Now we do that individually and we do that corporately. We do that intentionally and we do it unintentionally at times. But God has called us to be that. Secondly, he's, he's also called that kind of a church, your church, to recognize the signs of the times. Recognize the signs of the times. And what I mean to try to propose to you this morning, again, is that this is the most strategic and important hour of missions in the history of the church. Welcome. You've come in the kingdom for such a time as this. 
This is an incredible moment. And thirdly, Jesus taught us that we're to work the works of the Father while we have time. God sent his church. He wants us to be a part of that. And when we do, the Apostle Paul says we experience something that he calls an overflowing. And I want us to look at that here briefly today. First, just again to note, in Matthew chapter 28, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he was speaking to his disciples and he said these words in chapter 28 of Matthew in verses 19 and 20, it says this, go therefore and make disciples of all people groups baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This passage is famously known by theologians as the Great Commission. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. That is the Head of the church, Jesus Christ, is commissioning his church, giving them a mission to fulfill. And thus we call it the Great Commission. There's two things uniquely about this that I want to draw attention to for you to grab hold of tightly this morning. The first is this. It's this whole idea of go or going. In the, in the, in the Great Commission... Jesus assumes that we're going somewhere because we're usually going somewhere most of our lives. So there's an assumption here. In fact, literally, you could read that text and it would literally read in the original original language, in your going. Because we're always going somewhere to church or to the temple to pray, in their case, back in the day, or to work or to the ball game or to your friend's house or to school or whatever it might be. In your going, do this. Make disciples. Make disciples. Say, I don't know how to do that. Yes, you do. You do that by following Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you will make disciples. Sometimes it will be more glamorous than in others, but you will make disciples. And see, the whole idea of what this is about today is helping you and I and many missionaries and lots of other ministries to be able to make disciples for the glory of God. I'm a byproduct of what I call reverse missions. This means a lot to me. I was born again on January the 8th, 1984. I met Jesus Christ. He transformed my life and it's phenomenal what happened. He took a drugged out, broken, lost, flunked out of the university, kicked out of the university. Yes, kicked out of the university guy. And totally transformed my life. Nine months later, a missionary comes into a pulpit where I'm sitting in this church trying to get an understanding of what it means to be a believer and what does God want me to do. And in my case, God was calling me to leave my business work and come into vocational ministry as a life call. Everybody's in ministry into one form or another, and some of us are in vocational ministry. But 
This guy, by the name of Mike Hines, is a missionary at that time, flying an old World War II aircraft across Central America. He's got an old speed to light sound system that he's put inside of that thing. He flies at low altitude, and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ across, that, uh, across the land. And to get a response, he says, if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just wave something white at me, a shirt, or take some mirror or reflect something at me. And when he would see that happen, he would connect with Assemblies of God World Missions, and they would send a missionary team into that community and plant churches. And I was listening to him tell this story, and it was so striking to me. And then right in the middle of his story, he says, somebody in here is wrestling with a call to vocational ministry. And I knew God was speaking to me. And today, that experience of a missionary's work influencing my life has brought me here today to talk to you today about why it's important we support those people. God is busy. I don't know what your perspective is of the Lord. Some people in this world have a perspective that God's a tyrant, that he's just terrorizing people. He's, he's punishing people. That's all God wants to do is to punish us for what we've done wrong. But that's a, a gross misinterpretation of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave. And the truth of the matter is, he's not an indifferent God in that love. He's not up in the corner of heaven somewhere in a hammock drinking Chick-fil-A lemonade, waiting for the world to rot. He, he's, he's busy right now. The Holy Spirit is moving in a worship service like this, and he's speaking to people's lives. He's saying, if you're tired and you're thirsty, you can lean on me. And the message like that is going across through lands, through missionaries that you're partnered with. And God is moving and making and growing and building his church. And he's coming back, and he's coming back soon. Do you recognize what time it is? Are you aware of what's going on in the eyes of God in this world? I know what you're aware of at work. I know what you're aware of at your home. I know what you're aware of at school. I know what you're aware of in the news. I want to know, do you know what God knows are you aware what time it is in the kingdom? In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' disciples are listening to him talking about over and again, he's coming again. He's coming again. They still haven't figured all this thing out yet because he's right in front of them. They can't figure out this whole coming again thing. But they say, well, so when is going to be this thing where everything's made right? That's what everybody's about today. We always want to try to figure out how to make everything right. Guess what? He's coming back and he's going to make it right. But he wants to make hearts right in readiness for that moment when he comes. Because he's not coming as a sacrificial lamb. He's coming as a roaring king to make things right. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming again. And in this... Jesus is answering their question. What will be the signs of the times of your coming? And he talks about signs in the heavens and the earth, and we can see all of those. Just open your Bible and read those stories. In the, the 
the record that's in Matthew, look, go over to Luke, look, look at the parallel accounts. It's amazing what's happening. But in chapter 24 of Matthew, in verse 14, he gives this most important and timely sign of the times that I want to draw your attention to for just a moment. It says it like this here in verse 14, and Jesus says, and this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all people groups or to all nations. The Greek word there is ethnos. We get an English derivative, ethnic. To all people groups. And then the end will come. Did you catch the two, the, the, the two uh, leadings here? This and then. I want you to understand with me what's been happening a little bit between this and then for just a moment. Step back and take a look at things for just a minute statistically through the eyes of God in the history of the church. About 100 AD, just prior to 100 AD, the Apostle John, imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea, was penning a gospel at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not a gospel account, but a revelation account of the return of Jesus Christ. And in that, about that time, it's estimated that the world population was about 180 million people on the earth. At that time, uh, history records that there might have been about 500,000 Christians already living just in the first century of the church. It's an amazing story about what God is doing. 360 people in the world have a parallel of one Christian for every 360. It's already grown to that size. Fast forward with me 900 years now to 1000 AD. There were 270 million people on the, on the globe at the time. And now the estimation is there are about a million Christians. The ratio has now shrunk from 360 to 1 to 270 to 1. And by 1500 AD, world population is starting to really take off. 425 million people on the planet, and now there are 5 million Christians. And the ratio has gone down to one Christian for every 84 people on the planet. 400 years later, by 1900, about the time the Assemblies of God itself was gaining its fellowship and grounding and the establishment of what it is. Now, I want you to think about that alone. In the Assemblies of God, from 1914 to today, we've gone from 300 to 70 million globally. Globally. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Now, watch this. In 1900, there were 1.6 billion people, 40 million Christians now. So the ratio now has gone down to 40 to 1. And by 1950, there are 2.5 billion people on the planet, billion with a B, and 80 million Christians. Now the ratio is down to 30 to 1. By 1980, there are 4.5 billion, 275 million Christians, and it's now 15 to 1. By 1990... There are 5.2 billion people, and now a half a billion or 500 million Christians. And now on the ratio of the planet, in 1990, there's one Christian for every nine people on the planet. Now, today, right now, 
There are 7.3 billion people on the planet. And wouldn't you know that there's now one Christian for every 7.3 people on the planet? Christianity is growing at a rate of over 80,000 believers per day. Churches, that is where there's one or more people gathering together, are growing at the rate of 500 per day globally. In Africa, the continent of Africa, in 1970, there were 143 million Christians. That was about 38% of the continental population. And by 2010, there was 630 million, there were 630 million Christians. Almost half of the entire continent of Africa were Christian. In Asia, Christianity is growing over twice the rate of the general population. Asian Christian population has more than doubled since 1970 alone. Missionaries to the Islamic world say that more Muslims have converted to Christianity in the last 18 years than during the entire 14 centuries of Islamic history. Do you understand what time it is? Friends, the king is coming. The king is coming. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all people groups. Then the end will come. Today is now. When Jesus comes, it will be then. This is what we should do between then and now. Or this and then. (laughs) I believe, honestly, I do, I believe this. I believe that Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Isaiah, John the Baptist, I believe they would trade places with you and I to live in the last days than to just foresee them from a distant time past and prophesy about them. The exponential potential of gospel growth is staggering. It's amazing what's happening. So, what should we do about that? (laughs) Well, we should give heed to what Jesus said in John chapter 9 and verse 4 when he says this. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. The time is going to come when Jesus arrives. That's not the time to go get your lamps filled with oil. That time is now. That time is right now. What should we do right now? We should do what we can right now. In a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian believers, it's the second letter that he's written to them. We've referred to it as 2 Corinthians. In this letter, Paul is now located in a location known as Macedonia. It's still on the map today, so it'll give you a general idea where that is. And he is writing a letter from an impoverished community. Macedonia at that time was very impoverished. Some parts of Macedonia today are very much impoverished today. And the church there was alive, though. And Paul was writing to a church on the southern end of where he was, where he was headed again, a place called Corinth. And Corinth was, uh, was a, po- a prosperous place. Support city, uh, world trade was going on. It was a very prosperous, 
prosperous place. Paul had been there before, and he had told them about the growing global work of the church in the first century. During that time leading up to 100 AD, Paul in, the, in, in about the 60s, 60 AD, 50s, 80 D, AD, he's right, 80 D, that's like me. He's writing to them about this. And it's striking what's going on. And so he's saying to them, the world is, is, is ready for the gospel. And opportunities have come before us. There's tragedy in Jerusalem. There's people getting killed. And we've got widows and orphans. We need to take care of them. We've got opportunities and other things that are happening. We're taking up a world missions offering. He says that to the Macedonian church while he's up there. And um, they respond. This is a church that was, Paul describes them in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians as being um, under severe trial and great difficulties. They were impoverished. He says, "When when I brought this subject matter of the missions thing up, they begged me to give. Now, can I tell you that the modern mind tends to say, but they don't have anything, so let's not ask them to do something. Paul says they begged him, let us give. Why would God want to leave out anybody in what he wants to do in this world? We shouldn't judge a book by its cover, and certainly no cover wants to be judged that way. And in this process, they want to give, and they do give. And they give generously. The Bible describes it as they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. How do you give beyond your ability? I know how to give beyond, I know how to give in my ability, but I don't know how to give beyond my ability. I'll tell you how. God. God says in his record here that they gave beyond their ability. In other words, God enabled them to give something that they didn't have the ability to give even on their own. It started with them being willing to give what they had. And then God began to grow on that. So that Paul now has been telling them about the missions offering that Corinth had been involved in the year prior when he was there before. In the years prior. And now he had told them he's going to come back and do it again. And so Paul's on his way back now for the third time on his missionary journey, the second time to Corinth, and now he's passing through Macedonia. He's told them about this missions offering. They want to give, and because they've heard about the generosity of the Corinthians, they said, could we send some of the people from our congregation with you to go see what that is all about? So Paul goes, well, I better write them a letter. Guess what? They heard about your generosity. They want to come see it in their own eyes. So Paul writes them a letter in advance. And when he does, he gets to chapter 9, and he says this to them. He uses an agrarian illustration for them to be prepared and to be reminded about what God is doing. And he uses this illustration, and he says it in verse 6 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. The point is this. Whoever sows, talking about a farmer who is putting seed in the ground, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, or with blessings that literally could be translated, will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, 
key phrase here, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, watch this, God is able. If you're underlining your Bible or you highlight on your phone, this is a good one. God is able to make all grace, there's four alls here, all grace abound to you. I don't know about you, but I could use a lot of grace. God is able to make all grace abound to you, Jay. Furthermore, so that having all sufficiency, that is all that I need, having all sufficiency in all things. I got all kinds of things that I have needs for. God can give me all the grace I need. He can give me all the sufficiency I need and all the things that I need and catch out the last one there at all times. At all times. All, 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 all. That's not Jay's word. That's God's word. God describes himself this way. God's the one who's giving this directive. God's the one who's giving this promise. It's an incredible promise. Incredible. Look at verse 10. It says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It sounds like, you know, prosperity preaching. Can I say something? Sometimes the prosperity principle is true. Don't get that mistaken. God's not a candy machine. He's looking for real, heartfelt, genuine, involved people. Not somebody who gives to get. But when God takes what we give, he multiplies it. That's why we see illustrations of the bread and the fish. And that they don't just gather up leftovers, they gather up more than they put out. And that's the principle here. It keeps going. Look at what it says here. It says you, in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Why? Because people are going to get saved and they're going to give thanks to God. They're giving thanks to God. Somebody made a difference for my life. And look at verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings. Overflowing in many thanksgivings. They gathered up so many pieces of bread and fish left over, there were 12 baskets left over. You see the principle over and over and over again. So the farmer in the Midwest who farms corn, takes a kernel of corn and puts it in the ground, covers it up, waters it up, fertilizes it, steps back and goes, man, counting on that stalk. Stalk comes up. If healthy corn, properly cared for, on average, there'll be three cobs of corn on that one stalk. On an average healthy cob is about 600 kernels. Three times 600 is 1,800. So the farmer goes, I can't wait. I'm going to put one in the ground and we're going to get 1,800 of them back, and I'm going to go to the market, and I'm going to sell them, and we're going to be able to live for three hours. <laughs> we reap what we sow. 
we reap more than we sow, but the farmer's smart because he knows we reap based on how much we sow. So he doesn't put one in the ground, he puts millions of them in the ground in the Midwest. It's an amazing moment when you drive across, going east on Highway 60 across southern Missouri, and you get to Poplar Bluff, and you get over next into the next region, and you go over the last ridge before you hit the Mississippi Basin. You catch it at the right time of year when the stalks of corn are about 10 and 12 feet high and the wind is blowing. It's like the Holy Spirit is just singing a hymn across that place. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And when they harvest it, it feeds the world. And see, that's what we're doing today. We're sowing by faith into a missions work. The church then takes that and looks at it and says, when the missionary calls us and says, can we help? Well, we've got seed sown and belief that we can do that, so we make decisions to be able to support that. And that's how the kingdom grows. He said, where did that concept come from? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. That's where this is happening. And that's how the kingdom has grown exponentially over the, over the centuries. And that's what we're here to do today. We can't grow weary in well-doing. Don't let familiarity breed contempt. When are we going to quit doing this? When the king comes. And we get a chance to be a part of it. My friend Bob Brock says it this way. Jay, in the end... You will not be measured by how much you made or how much you saved. You will be measured by how much you sacrificed and how much you gave. And here's the thing. It's not a measurement to get me in or out of heaven. I'm in heaven. It's a measurement about the enjoyment of heaven. And that is something I'm looking forward to. And we all can look forward to that. So I bring you this charge. Be a going church for a coming king. And let me give you this promise. A going church for a coming king is an overflowing church with a com- for a coming king. Overflowing in the, in the resources we need, overflowing in faith, overflowing in love, overflowing, overflowing, overflowing. This is the opportunity we get. And missions today is a way for us to exercise that. Over the last few days, you have had in your hand faith promise cards. This faith promise card, I'd like for everybody to grab one. It's sitting in a seat in front of you, on the back of the seat in front of you, or in the seat next to you. I'd just ask you to grab that again. You've had one of those. And um, if you'll grab that, just draw your attention to this very quickly. Keep your attention with me for just a moment, please. Don't do this reluctantly or with compulsion. Do it because you want to do it. You get to be a part. I get to be a part. We get to be a part. What this is, is we're going to write down on the left-hand side of our card our faith promise. That is, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we cannot see. We start with what we have, and then we just ask God, Lord, what would you want to really give through me? Again, you say, I don't know if I could do that. Well, don't worry about that. God is the one who's the supplier. If he drops it in your heart, by faith, step out there. If later you want to change it, you can come back and change this. It's okay. There's no world missions police in the Assemblies of God. Nobody's going to repossess your church van because you don't meet your faith world missions goal. 
It's a goal. You shoot at it. If every, if every NBA player fired a three-pointer from the three-point line with the pre, pre, predetermined idea that if I shoot the shot, it's got to go in, he would never take a shot. We shoot at a goal. You say, what if I only come up half of the goal? Well, i got good news for you. Half of something is better than all of nothing. By faith, you write it down, and on the other side, tear off that other piece. This, this part's for you to keep. Put it in a place that's meaningful to you. Maybe it's on the mirror in your bathroom or something like that. It's a point of reminder. And on it, it says something really, really important. It says, I have made a faith promise to give as God enables me. As God enables me. And here's what you're saying. God, I promise, if you're able to get it to me, you will be able to get it through me. And God, I give this to you. I want to pray over you before you write those things down that you want to do. You're making a faith declaration to God what you want to do in missions as a part of this church. Let me pray for you, and then you can take a time to write that down, and Pastor will come back right after that. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us and sending your Son. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be a part of your great cause. Lord, thank you for the privilege to be a part of it at such a time as this. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to be conduits of the cause. Lord, by faith, I believe you're giving me this amount to write down on a faith promise because, Lord, you want to get it through me for the cause of Jesus Christ to see souls saved and lives changed locally and globally. So, Lord, we do that now in faith with joy.